0: Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode thirty two of the four one one on wrestling podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411Mania.com website. Joining me today is my good friend Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you today?
1: I am well. How are you, Larry?
0: I'm doing well. I, I don't know if you saw my Twitter story I wrote. Um
1: yeah, I have, I have saw, a special I
0: have a special guest staying with me.
1: I saw that. I'm very happy that uh, you have a what's it what's it called? I can't think of the the my, name. My, my,
0: my senpai.
1: Your senpai, sure, oh, yes. sure.
0: Yes, for those of you that do not know, I have a guest living with me, a special guest from Japan who is going to help and finish my training as I learn to walk on prosthetic leg and that is one Daryl Takahashi. And Jeremy, guess what? What is that? Daryl Takahashi is here.
1: Konnichiwa, Jeremy. <laughs> Konnichiwa, Daryl.
0: Listen up, meow. We have work to do. Someone's <laughs> going to get totally offended by that. Fuck you, it's a Japanese animated cat. <laughs> he is staying with me and he is going to be my fucking trainer. He is awesome. My, I, I, I had a fun little story I wrote about it, obviously, just a bunch of bullshit and fun, but the the truth is, is... My awesome oldest daughter, Hannah, when I was uh, coming home and stuff, she decided she was going to find out how to buy a Daryl. And she bought it for me. And she told me she bought it for me because if Daryl can help Hiromu get better, he can help me get better. So she is absolutely the best fucking daughter in the world.
1: Hannah is great, and I'm glad she has found you a new trainer to help you when you're not going to therapy uh, to train you around the house so you can get better, just like a robot. That's
0: right, you're a fucking slave driver, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> H- had me doing the exercises today, just bitching up a storm. You would have thought like Shabbat was yelling at me, man. I was like, jeez. <laughs> so, but uh, no, good times, good times. And uh, we are back here on the podcasting network, Jeremy. We got some uh, shows to review. We have. ROH Best in the World 2019 and AEW Fighter Fest 2019. And uh, two very different shows for very different reasons. And we will start off with ROH Best in the World 2019. And that show started off with a pre-show match, free pre-show match, which, which was Roosh versus Flip Gordon. Your thoughts?
1: This could have been a main event, there, and ROH gave it away for free on the pre-show.
0: Well, as we found out later, there was a reason for that.
1: I They just drilled that point so many times within the first five minutes of this match that I was like, all right, guys, we, we get it. It could have been a main event, and you're giving it away for free. Awesome. I
0: main like, event anywhere in the country, Jeremy.
1: That's right. Uh, good match. A little bit underwhelming, all things considered, uh, considering it could have been a main event anywhere in the world. Uh, Roosh, you know, Roosh always impresses. Flip Gordon got... Got some good stuff in where we we figured he would be competitive with Roosh. They're pushing Roosh very hard, uh, but we figured Flip Gordon would be competitive, and he was. Uh, I don't know; it just never seemed to like get out of that second gear for me. But it it was still good overall, and, and the right man won.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think the the one main thing was as uh, Roosh uh, Flip Gordon lasted longer with Roosh than a lot of guys because Roosh has been working a lot of like five to seven minute matches, and Flip took him over ten. He was. He was competitive, but not overly competitive, where you thought he was gonna win, and like you said, never really hit that next year, next gear. But it was good, a uh, good way to open the show, and uh, Rouge continues to roll along and picking up wins, and uh, that was a good thing there. And we will hear more from Flip Gordon later on. Yes, we would. Uh, we next went to Nick Aldis arriving, and wish Colt Cabana a speedy recovery. Is Colt was not able to wrestle on the pay-per-view due to the hematoma in his leg. Uh, James Storm interrupted him, called uh, Aldis the protected champion, said he had both of the NWA champions beat. He's earned his spot. And then Eli Drake, the new NWA signee, uh, was revealed as Nick Aldis' partner for the night. Drake claimed to be the hottest free agent in wrestling, the best in the world, and all that good stuff. And, um said he had offers from all kind of co- companies, but grew up near Baltimore and used to watch men walk around with the 10 pounds of gold. And he's going to turn the business upside down. So thoughts on Eli Drake being the big surprise replacement.
1: I think it makes sense. Um, he, he definitely kind of fits that NWA mold. They they, they go after certain guys. Colt Cabana might be a little bit off the, the beaten path for them, but for the main event picture, they, they have a look that they're going for kind of kind of the old school throwback guys like an Aldis like a James Storm like a Eli Drake so he certainly fits the NWA picture he'll obviously be around plenty in ROH now and do other independent stuff so I like Eli Drake he's a he's a good talker not super big on his ring work but as far as the talking goes he's very good and knows how to get himself over and knows how to play his character very well which uh lost on some people in wrestling so good good pickup for NWA
0: Yeah, um, I like Eli. Like you said, good talker. Um, He can have good matches, but he's not extremely consistent in the ring. I think it's the best way to put it. He's far from bad. Really athletic guy, can do some really fun stuff, but I just find him not consistent. It's kind of like my biggest beef with him overall. But yeah, he'll be a good talker. Um, Like I said, he'll probably appear on ROH TV a decent bit. And um, yeah, it should lead to some fun, but uh, a nice surprise. And you know, it's a... While it's not exactly a huge name, it is a name that uh, got some people talking, and that is good, uh, especially for the NWA, and uh, especially, I mean, there was more talk on that on the ROH pay-per-view than a lot of the pay-per-view period on Friday.
1: Yeah, um, for sure.
0: So, and then, uh, the pay-per-view proper opened up with uh, Dalton Castle versus Dragon Lee. For those of you that don't know, Dalton Castle lost to Roosh at the G1 Supercard in, like, 16 seconds. He's been looking for revenge against Roosh and decided to challenge Dragon Lee, which is Roosh's brother to a match. And, uh, the first thing they did here is they great beginning because they, uh, had, uh, Dragon Lee hit John Woo dropkick. He had two of the bulls' horns, knees, and, uh, drop kicks in the corner, uh, for the near fall to play off of the Rouge win at the G1 Super Card. Uh and that was that was good. I really liked that. It was a good tease and it's a good callback and the whole match is built off of that so I thought that was a very strong way to start off. Overall, I thought it was a very good match. I thought Dalton Castle looked a lot better than he had been um, and obviously he needed to pick up the big rebound win. And, uh, you know, Dragon Lee is a name. He's coming off the uh, best Super Juniors with a really great run there. So it was a very important win for Castle. And I think more importantly, it was um, really good that he looked as good as he did because he had been really struggling leading up to the Rouge match. Due to was Cert- injuries. Yes,
1: yeah, certainly Dalton Castle's best performance since his return. I, I did like the opening stretch as well. very Very hot. And then it, it stayed hot throughout. The crowd was really into this match castle and, and dragon lee worked really hard dragon lee is so good um oh, he's obvious. he's like 24 and he's he's so so good yeah, His best of super juniors run was outstanding anytime he's in a new japan ring he's, he's just really good and he he, he looks strong here castle gets the win for for obvious reasons they're setting up that rematch with rusha it certainly seems like um but overall probably the best thing on the show for the night um i believe for me so i really like this match
0: fair enough yeah it was definitely one of the better matches for sure and um i also like the castle hit bangerang and then decided not to pin him and hit the bull's horns for the win to rub it in rusha's face that he beat his brother with his move So, uh, nice little piece of storytelling there, and I thought that was also kind of where the match excelled because they really they wrapped everything around that story really well from the loss and everything, and uh, just it's exactly what you had to do, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, the storytelling was very important, as you as you said with the the finish and then the the opening stretch as well. So they're they're keeping the, the castle and, and Roosh thing very fresh in his mind, and again they're they're building towards that rematch. And I still think Roosh probably takes the rematch, but Castle will most likely be more competitive the second time around.
0: Yeah, and as long as Dalton is getting healthy and looking good like he did here that is the more important thing going forward. I mean, he can lose the Roosh again later on, but he just he has to stay healthy and looking good. So, hopefully that is the case because he was um he was really hot leading into the title win and then the injuries just totally derailed that so bad for him. And obviously not his fault. It's just um you know, a litany of injuries. He had the thigh injury, he had a hand injury, he had the back injury and just it all piled up and you can only do so much, especially cause not that he works like strong style or anything like that, but I mean, he works a very power-based offense with like the amateur stuff and the throws and suplexes and your back's all fucked up. You just can't do that. Exactly. So moving on, the Lord defeated Jenny Rose and Kelly Klein at nine and a half minutes. Um, uh, Not good really slow disjointed had no flow there was no heat and they used a just a shit finish where they used fucking velvet sky's shoe and angelina love hit the botox injection and yeah it was probably as good or bad as we thought next jeez jeremy you're to upset mandy leon (laughs) next anyway, post match, Maria Manic made her debut, the allure bailed, and then she beat the shit out of a bunch of security geeks, and at least that came off really well.
1: She has Maneater tattooed on her stomach.
0: She does, and that is not a joke.
1: <laughs> I like Cole Cabana's line. Um yeah, the Maria Manic debut came came off. Well, it, no one cared at first when the video played, and then she was in the ring. Like I don't think anyone knew who she really was. Uh, but beating up a bunch of dudes and tossing them over the uh, ring ropes with a razor's edge to the outside will uh, will earn you some fans. So a, a good a good debut for her.
0: Exactly, I, I thought so as well. And yeah, you're, you're right. There wasn't a big reaction to her at first, and I think that's just because she's not exactly like a big indie name. You know, like she's known, but I mean, it's not like she's not like a huge star, but she's definitely a different pickup for them and, you know, different look, different style and everything. So we'll see how that goes and hopefully they can like lock in some more people that are actually good. Um, That would be nice because otherwise the women's division just kind of sucks. Moving on, best of three series final match. Kenny King defeated Jay Lethal 1445 via pin. Your thoughts, Jeremy?
1: Uh, another good another good match. I thought it was just a hair below um the the opener the, the pay-per-view opener between uh Dragon Lee and Dalt Castle. But Jay Lethal is always good, always going to give you a, a solid workman-like performance. Kenny King, not a huge fan, but he can he can step up, especially when he's working with a, a guy like Lethal. And King's win came off like a, a very big moment, and I, I think that was a, a good sign as well, because I mean they're they're building towards Kenny King and Matt Taven for some reason and that's probably not going to be good but at least they're trying I, I will give them that it's kind of the the same thing I I say about WWE is the the Shane McMahon feud not my favorite thing Baron Corbin push not my favorite thing but what they do with these guys they're they're doing well with them just feels like it's much like the the shane and baron corbin stuff it's the the wrong guy in the wrong position but they're trying and so i'll give them marks for that and again the the, the match was good they've
0: been trying with kenny king for years yeah and it just n- never feels like it's working but i mean like you said they are they are trying they're in a position where they have to try and um yeah i thought it was very good i thought it was about on par with uh the uh Dalton Castle versus Dragon Lee match. Uh, I like that uh, they told the story again where they they knew each other very well, were playing off of each other's moves, willing to try to one each other and steal moves and stuff like that, which was the story, especially at the first match they had on TV. And uh, like you said, the crowd was into it. Kenny King picked up a big win. They tried to treat it like a big deal. And I thought that was uh, the important part. Because, I mean, if you're going to put him over Jay Lethal, you have to make it feel big because... I mean, and I mean this in the most respectful way. I mean, they fucking verbally blow job Jay Lethal on TV, and they should. You know, longest-reigning TV champion, his world title runs and all that. I mean, he is like an ROH legend. So, I mean, you have to treat the win like a big deal. So now the important thing is they just have to actually follow up with Kenny King and make it worth it.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And again... They're trying with Kenny King. Don't think he's the right guy, but you put him over Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal, as you said, is he's the golden child of, of ROH, and I mean, his history there speaks for itself. So they're, they're pushing Kenny King as strong as they can right now.
0: Yeah. Next up was a pure rules match, uh, going back a little old school with ROH. Jonathan Gresham defeated Silas Young, the last real technician, in 1805 via submission. Uh, I thought it was a good match. that played into the stipulation and style very well. I thought they used the rope break rules really well. Uh, I liked si- Silas. was a great dick here, uh, which is like really his strength when he's working that bully role, which really works when you're working against a smaller guy like Gresham. But, of course, Gresham's biggest strength is that fighting from underneath with all of his various grappling skills. And then in the end, um, Gresham was pulled in. He had pulled the uh, ring skirt uh, in with him. And uh, that allowed Gresham to hit a fucking low blow on Silas Young to get some revenge and lock in the octopus hold for the win. Uh, This was a throwback to when uh, Silas Young first beat him on TV, where he hit him in the back with the bell hammer and submitted him with the abdominal stretch. thought it was good. I like the finish because Gresham got revenge. Um, But I can fully understand that this match wasn't for everybody because it was slowly paced and very methodical working to that pure roll style.
1: Yeah, and, and if you're going to do this, which I, I enjoyed this match. It, it was it was good for what it was. Um, but if you're going to do this, maybe you've got to go just a hair shorter.
0: Yeah, I can, I can go with that.
1: Yeah, um, like, again, I don't have an issue with this slow, pure roll style. It, it was a, a thing in ROH for for many years, and there was... Yeah, there are plenty good like mat based matches just like this. Um The problem is you've either got to kick up that intensity at some point, and, and these guys didn't really do that, or they've just got to be a little bit shorter. And this one was, you know, longer than than the first two matches. So, or I guess the three matches that that other match doesn't count. Um, so, so it was longer than that, and having that long style where you don't kick up that, that intensity, it just hurts the match overall, so I, I didn't mind the match I like that Gresham won, I'm really high high on Gresham anyone that listened to our Best of Super Juniors reviews knows I, I like this guy and it's tough to just have a bad match with him, um, but could could have gone if, if they shaved some time off of it.
0: Yeah, I agree, I think, I think if you shave three to four minutes off of it, it tightens it up a little bit and um, I, I think that probably would have made it a little more palatable to a lot of people that thought it was too slow. But, uh, yeah, all fair points are on. But, yeah, really good. And I thought they worked the stipulation really well, and that's also the important thing. So, yeah, good match. Uh, we moved on. Tag team action. The Briscoes versus Nick Aldis and Eli Drake. They went to a double countout in 11 minutes. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, they've booked themselves into a tiny bit of a corner uh with the with this match because even even if it was cabana, I assume they were going to do a similar finish. They don't really want the Briscoes losing. And then NWA probably doesn't want either of their champions losing. And in this case their their newest signing, Eli Drake. So they did this uh double double count out gimmick and you know the Briscoe stood tall in the end, getting the better of of all this, but it it was it was all right. Nothing, nothing too special. Um, and the, the ring work for Eli Drake is, is hit and miss same, same thing with, with all this, the Briscoes are great, but the working Drake and, and all this really aren't two guys who are going to, to bring the best out of them. So this had its challenges pretty much from the moment it, it was booked and it, it couldn't really overcome that.
0: Yeah. I think you're right about the booking. It, um, they 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 had themselves in a corner because either you're beating the two NWA champions or you're beating the NWA champion and your new assignee. So the finish made sense, but came off really flat. Um I thought the match was pretty good. Um but like the heel face dynamic felt really off because the Briscos were trying to work as heels, but the crowd loves them. And they didn't alter that at all. And Aldis and Drake just kept fighting like valiant baby faces and they didn't, nobody liked them, so that just felt really wonky and there's just there's a point where you have to adapt. It's like you see we talk about it all the time where like you'll see guys like AJ Styles in the Rollins match or Tanahashi in various matches not going full heel, but they will work a slight heelish style with a little more edge because of the crowd, and they'll play into it, and there's a point where you just have to you have to be smart enough to kind of do that. But yeah, um, post-match, Storm and Drake ended up brawling to the back. The Briscoes beat down Alice, Aldis. They put him through a table with the froggy bow. And then Marty Skrull Sc- just kind of appeared and ha- helped Aldis up because he's his friend. But he wasn't too much of a friend to help him before he went through a table.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, it, this this Aldous and, and Skrull storyline is... I guess it's NWA's big thing, and it it should be because Skrull's kind of the the biggest star they can secure not under an actual NWA contract. Um, I I don't know. It, It just... It doesn't feel, like, super hot to me, even though their, their match at Crockett Cup was, was very good. It's just they, they need to hook me in a little bit more with, with this one. Um, and, I'll, you know, Skrull coming out and helping them, fine, whatever. Like, it, it's, it's all leading to something. Probably Skrull just leaving and that being the end of it.
0: <laughs> so next up, the ROH TV title match. Your boy, the champion, Shane Taylor versus Bandito. Shane Taylor won at 1245 via pin. I really liked this match. Thought it was really good and fun. Thought they played off the stylistic differences extremely well. Good drama down to the stretch. There was an insane spot where Shane Taylor went up to the second rope and was going to do like a crossbody, And 186 pound Bandito fucking caught him out of the air. And he didn't do one of those things where he catches him and stumbles back like eight feet and looks like he's gonna fall. He caught this big motherfucker. And I was like, You are the goddamn man.
1: Yeah, I couldn't. Shane Taylor's face when they showed the replay was outstanding too.
0: <laughs> it was, dude. I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean I'd had the same reaction, you know. It was like <laughs> he was just like, Holy shit. But yeah, so Bandita made the big comeback, countered greetings for 216, hit a super kick. But Shane Taylor fought off the 21plex, hit a powerbomb, knee strike, and the package power driver for a great near fall. Uh, eventually, um, he finally hit uh, greetings for 216 to retain. Uh, I th- This was my match of the night. I thought it was really, really good. Uh I thought it was just a hair you know, like a hair better. Not not like outstandingly better than anything else on the card, but like if we're talking technical, uh like a fourth of a star better than some of the other matches earlier, like the King Lethal and the um Castle Lee match. But uh I really like this. I thought they worked well together, styles meshed well and Bandito this is is fucking awesome. Um I like Shane Taylor a lot, but I do A little questionable to um have Bandito lose here because Lifeblood is just like a giant bunch of losers and Bandita coming off like a really good uh, best super junior run and had some buzz and he's just back and lost.
1: Lifeblood sucks. Let's be honest. They're, they were thrown together with no real plan. And now they're, they're the guy who put them together. Isn't even going to come back to the company. So they're just a bunch of, bunch of dudes who as you said just keep on losing lifeblood's terrible uh great match really really great match um best wrestler in the world shane taylor you know best in the world for a reason the, this pay-per-view is named after him puts in another outstanding performance bandito lucky to share the ring with shane taylor i i Again, yeah, not quite on the level for for uh, Castle and and Dragon Lee for me, but that's like as you said, like a quarter of a star difference if I if I did star ratings. So don't take that as I hated this match. I just said it was great. Um, Benito losing, I, I thought he was always going to lose because I think they they've got some legs with Shane Taylor here, and I I actually. Like I think Shane Taylor makes a makes a fine champion.
0: No, I like um, Shane Taylor's champion a lot. It's just like you know, with with what happened next as well, it's just like lifeblood are the biggest fucking geeks in the roster, you
1: know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I I mean, like I said, I they're they're terrible. I don't think there's a rhyme or reason of why they're actually together and they've done nothing to be like, all right, you should care about these guys. It's certainly questionable to even book this match and have Bandito lose, but they wanted to to put on a good match. They put on a good match, and, and you know storylines and actual, you know, trying to make sense of things, be damned. As we'll get to with the main events. Yeah,
0: and uh, I I don't think I wanted to clarify because I don't want anybody to someone's gonna jump on our ass. We don't think Lifeblood like sucks as wrestlers. They always no, no, have no, no, really no. good to great matches. They're just booked like complete shit.
1: Yeah, no, anybody who thinks we think Haskins, Williams, and Bandito are bad wrestlers, come on now. If you listen to one of our previews, we know we think they're excellent. As as a stable, they suck.
0: Yes. So that's the thing. It's not the problem with them, it's the booking. Uh, Moving on, ROH six-man tag team titles. Champions Villain Enterprises defeated the lifeblood team of Haskins, Williams, and their sort of teammate, PJ Black, at 17 minutes via pin. I thought it was really good, a lot of chaotic fun. PCO taking crazy bombs. Had a couple of small hiccups here and there, but was really strong overall.
1: Yeah, a, another another good match. Um the the great lifeblood wrestlers, still excellent. Uh PCO always crazy. I didn't like the, the Road Warriors knockoff nonsense that villain enterprises did. I was just like, what? What is the point of this? And they took away Marty's whoop whoop theme, which, come on, like that's that's one of the most crowd interactive themes. There is, and you completely just took that away from the guy. I don't understand that at all. Uh, The the match was good. All all six of these guys are very good wrestlers, and they they busted their ass in this match. So I I didn't have an issue with it, but apparently there was some timing issue with some stuff. But I think that was more the post-match than than the actual match.
0: Yeah, so post-match, the Sons of Savagery laid out Lifeblood. Bandito made to save until a Bully Ray arrived and attacked him. He was going to beat him down with a chair, but Flip Gordon made to save with Kendo Stick and Bully ran away. And this uh, goes back to the whole um, invitation where Lifeblood wanted Flip to join them since they lost uh, Finley to injury and Juice said fuck off and Tennille left. So uh, Flip joined Lifeblood after weeks of teases, put on a shirt, but then a video appeared. And Marty Skrull was there and said, It's funny that you guys added a new member tonight because Villain Club has their fourth member tonight. And it was their new mercenary, and the video panned out, and it was young Flip Gordon. Marty and Flip fucking take Japan again, Jeremy.
1: I I like that Flip Gordon is the fourth member of Villain Enterprises. I thought the whole setup to this was so stupid. <laughs> um he, he puts on the shirt, cool, like great. And then it throws to a video package, and it's like, how did Marty know that Flip was going to put on this lifeblood shirt? It was
0: he how he how did he to. know? He but told it, him to, man.
1: <laughs> okay. Marty saw I guess. the
0: future. Which is I why guess. he's likely leaving this fucking company when his contract's up.
1: <laughs> and then like, Marty and them, like, went to the back because then they rush back out to the ring when Flip, you know, bails to the outside. So it's like it's like they tried to tell us that Marty had gone to the back, put on his jacket, and then thrown it to Flip, who was there. But then on the, it was so dumb. This setup was so stupid. Like, you couldn't just have villain enterprises outside uh, the ring and, like, thinking about... All right, are we gonna get back in the ring with these guys? What are we gonna do? And then Flip does the turn like right then. Like, why couldn't you have done that instead of this dumb video package? Uh, I, I'm fine with with Flip being the the fourth member because he'll probably be the lead member when when Marty bails out of this nonsense. Yeah, and, and then I, Flip's gonna bail shortly after him yeah. as well. I think it works
0: really well for the fact that they've kind of burnt out Flip as a babyface contender because he lost in Iron Defy, he he lost against Taven previously, and then he just lost against Rouge. so the heel turn at least freshens him up. And like you said, he could be the one that takes over, but that may not be for long. Uh, we'll see how the contracts work out. Post-match, he put uh, Williams through a table on the floor with a 450 and dislocated his elbow, but they popped it back in, so... This poor son of a bitch can't catch a break this year between the knee injury, the visa issue, and that.
1: That looked like it sucked so bad. Really looked like it sucked. Um, Hopefully he's... I I don't think he wrestled at the tapings tonight. Hopefully he... Not that ROH TV matters. Hopefully he doesn't miss too much time.
0: Yes, and that led to our main event. ROH World Champion Matt Taven defeating Jeff Cobb at 9.50 via pin. Uh, obviously a very abbreviated and rushed main event cause they were running long due to timing issues. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Um, but I will say that one thing I did like, it was refreshing that it didn't go like 30 minutes for no reason. Because not every fucking main event has to go 25 or 30 minutes. Um, Taven won clean, which is good for his run except for the fact that it's Matt Taven. And I really don't think that you should have burned the uh, the Cobb title shot right now. But if he might be out come September when his contract's up, I understand putting Taven over him. But, uh, yeah, Matt Taven is your champion.
1: This sucked. The The work didn't suck. the The layout of everything about this sucked. I'm fine. It doesn't have to go 30 minutes. I agree with you on that this match went 20 seconds longer than the the terrible women's match. This is your main event, your your world champion, and the guy who you've pushed is undefeated, hasn't been pinned. He he lost in a four-way match or whatever, but he hasn't been pinned or anything like that. He had the the best ROH match on the show at at your G1 Supercard, and he loses clean in less than 10 minutes. You've got to you've either got to figure out your, your timing there to where your main event goes over 10 minutes or you've got to call some type of audible. Jeff Cobb looked like such an idiot in this match, just losing in 10 minutes to to Matt Taven in the flattest of all flat, flat finishes. Like, no one cared about this finish. It happened and people were like, oh, that that's the finish. And then Taven just leaves and... There you go. That's the show. This this match did neither of these guys any favors. Like, if, if this was your big Matt Taven gets a big victory uh, following his, his uh, title win and a couple of big title defenses, like, this is his big first pay-per-view victory, he looked terrible in it. And if you have any hopes of doing anything with Jeff Cobb, you gotta... He can easily be rebuilt, because he's that good, but... Oof, Look, look bad in this match. Just, just not good.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I'm not feeling Matt Taven as champion. I didn't like the, wasn't a fan. I I thought they were going to do it at the G1 Supercard and they did it. And it's like, well, Matt Taven, ROH in 2019. And this was a show, Jeremy, that was poorly attended and had no buzz. Nobody was talking about this show.
1: The the show had no buzz. I feel like we're the only ones who did a preview podcast on a timely manner. I think the voices of wrestling guys had one like twenty four hours before the show aired, maybe even less than that. Um, I mean, you wrote a preview on it, but th- this show had no buzz. Like you saw the the shots of the crowd, they they were unavoidable. There there looked like there was about three hundred people there, and this is supposed to be one of their you know bigger shows like. Final Battle is their, their biggest show. Obviously, the G1 Supercard was was a big show this year, but that's not every year. Like, Best in the World is one of their bigger events, and just just nothing going on in this promotion. Absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah, Um. so obviously the departures of the AEW guys are really coming home to roost, because you don't have the Bucks, you don't have Cody, you don't have Adam Page, you don't have SCU. Which, you know, some people want to downplay it, but I'm sorry. Especially Cody and the Bucks were fucking ticket movers. And them and Omega, I keep telling people, people want to dispute this. And I hate when people go, well, ROH sold out to Garden. No, New Japan and ROH sold out to Garden. And most of those tickets were sold when people thought Omega and the Bucks and Cody were to be there. You cannot downplay that. I thought that the show was a good wrestling show in terms of the wrestling matches overall, but felt really flat. The crowd was small, very in and out of the show. You know, there, a lot of ROH shows thrive when you have those matches. The crowd really, really gets into it. Um, you know, the, the flip heel turn is questionable to some people, but like I said, they burned him out as a babyface with the high profile losses. So I think the turn makes sense. I really like Taylor and Bandito for my match of the night, but again, uh, Lifeblood are a bunch of fucking geeks right now, so that doesn't help them. The Allure are horrible, uh, like I said, Lifeblood are goofs, and um, yeah, it's an enjoyable in-ring show, but it didn't feel like anything you have to see.
1: Like, no, it's, it was... It's
0: good, but it's 2019, how many great shows are there out there?
1: Yeah, the, like this. This is what I've said for a while now. Is I don't know what ROH is good at. They're, they're not the the best in ring product in the world anymore. Like they could claim in the throughout the early two thousands and everything. Like that. That's not their their bread and butter anymore. They're not entertaining on a level of WWE or AEW um, or even even a, a company like beyond or something even like impact like impact kind of has out of the box ideas that some of that stuff actually clicks and gets over Like they're not really a nostalgia company because they're you know they're not bringing back ecw they're not booking tommy dreamer in their main events uh i just don't know what they're good at they're just kind of a wrestling company and i mean it, it sort of works but they they're just so all over the place and they're so afraid to actually pull the trigger on something just try something different i like it's almost like they have a fear because of, of Cody and the bucks like they they got so big and, and ROH obviously played a part like they they took on Cody after he had kind of a mediocre impact run and was kind of just doing fine on the indies, but nothing like blow away or anything. I mean, they, they helped push the bucks into the stars that, that they became, they, they did the same thing with, with hangman page, um, and, and SCU like that. That's where Daniels and Kazarian really got big. Um, and Scorpio sky as well. And they pushed them to a level to where they ran their own independent show, they were played a big big hand in that i mean it, it streamed on honor club and then they they bailed they were like oh well now we got tony Khan throwing us money and it's almost like they're afraid of that happening again because they won't pull the trigger on, on a guy like marty girl. It they're still seemingly a little bit gun shy on a a guy like like flip gordon They even seem a little gun-shy on a guy like Roosh, who should have been challenging for the title at this show because I think Roosh can leave at the end of the year. Um, And so they're going with, like, Taven, who's not going anywhere because no one really cares about him. Like, even Jeff Cobb. I don't think Jeff Cobb was ever going to win the title, but you brought it up on the preview, is they're not going to put the title on him because they're afraid of him losing in the G1. Why? Who... Okada is going to lose in the G1. He's the he's the champion of the company. He's going to lose in the G1.
0: Well, then here's the thing too. The other thing is, if you don't want to put the title on him and you're because you're afraid he's going to lose in the G1, don't book the fucking match.
1: Yeah, book exactly. something else. And don't you, book and, the match.
0: Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say. <laughs> okay, I'll go real quick. Um, I was going to say to your point about them being afraid. I think you're absolutely right because, and the worst thing is like. I really think they should have put the title on Marty because he's not leaving until like August or September. He was yeah. fucking over. He was over huge. The crowd wanted him to win. Why not take advantage of the guy being that over and sell some merch and maybe sell some fucking pay-per-view buys? I mean, a novel fucking suggestion. Get the most out of him. I mean, Villain Enterprises is fun and all, but are you really getting the most out of Marty Skrull with that? And the answer is no. I mean, Villain Enterprise is totally fun. I like it. But you could have done more. And then, like, if they're going to be afraid to do anything with Roosh and Bandito and, you know, Jeff Cobb and Flip and stuff, too, they're going to be in danger of losing those guys, and then they're not going to really get much out of them.
1: As I said with the, the Skrull thing back in April, it's they. You get the feeling they know this guy is leaving and they're giving him no incentive to stay by just giving him the, this nonsense and not even taking a chance on him and being like, hey, we put the title on you. You know, you, you're a made man here. We, we can build around here. You go to these other companies, they're not going to build around you. Like, you're, you're third fiddle in the elite. You go to WWE, you, fuck, you don't want to go to their main roster. Like, you're the guy here. And... You know, maybe that appeals to Marty and and Flip and these guys, but they're not doing that. They're they're not telling that to these guys. They're they're saying, you can be third fiddle here, or you can go to AEW and make more money and hang out with your buddies, or you can go to WWE and make even more money
0: and have some
1: bangers in NXT and have
0: a fun time.
1: Yeah, like what are you choosing? Like you're you're leaving. You're out because the other two, even if your position in the world of wrestling doesn't actually improve your financial situation and you're, just your standing, your um, visibility improves because you're, you're just in bigger companies, even if your actual pecking order position doesn't improve. Uh, the, it's, it's a scared company, and it's a company that just, they're, they're not doing anything that, that's engaging. They took away Marty's whoop-whoop theme. Okay, this company's dumb.
0: Yeah, and the other thing too, to to back up that point is like, again, Marty was really over. The crowd wanted him to win, and if you're trying to keep stars, it's a negotiation tool. You put the title on. I'm like, listen, we're going to strap you up in your last few months, man, and you know, let's see where it goes from here. And then while he's champion, you fucking hardcore negotiate and try to keep the guy.
1: And, and they didn't even work, try
0: that. But at least you tried and you put the title on somebody over and maybe made some fucking money.
1: And if it doesn't work, you know when the guy's leaving, he's not going to be a dick and be like, I'm not going to drop the title. Like, all these guys are professionals. You, if you get the, even if you get the feeling that he is going to stay, you still build up a really credible challenger for him and then when he's going to leave you put the title on that guy and then that guy is made because you have him beat the guy who everyone was already a fan of it's not it's not that difficult it, at least it doesn't seem i mean i've never run a wrestling company my TEW companies do great it doesn't seem that difficult
0: yeah uh, but that's what it is and again it wasn't a bad show i don't want anybody to get that impression but it felt like a company with just no buzz, with you know guys working pretty hard and trying to put on the best matches they could, and not a lot of people caring, live or online. I mean, comparatively to Fighter Fest, just the online reaction and following on social media and on the site during live coverage was night and day. And people were to go, well, Fighter Fest was free. But you know what? I mean, Double or Nothing like completely dwarfed that and many WWE pay-per-views as well. And that was a $60 show. So, I mean, the thing is, is it's like there's nothing to hook people to watch ROH right now. I mean, they did a good job when they lost those guys of bringing in some good names. Roosh and Bandito have been great. Uh, Brody King and PCO have been great. You know, those are, you know, and I, I like the Lifeblood guys. But you haven't done anything really with them outside of Roosh, really, to make us care. And don't say they did anything with PCO, because PCO is the one that made us care about PCO.
1: Yeah, that wasn't an ROH thing at all.
0: So uh, before we move on, I will go to Daryl Takahashi. Daryl, your thoughts on the show? Crap. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah.
1: Daryl is not wrong.
0: (laughs) So uh, so before we move on, remember you're listening to the 411 On Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please subscribe and share the show around. And if you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. And I want to thank everybody as... June was our record month for downloads and listens to the show. Uh, and we've gotten better each month, and I thank everybody that has taken the time to download and listen and share us around. We really appreciate it. So, Jeremy, we spoke about, uh, real quickly, AEW Fighter Fest. And we will talk about that show right now. And uh, start it off with the buy-in stuff. And before we kind of do all the buy-in matches, I want to say they... They need to fix the buy-in shows.
1: They're they're not good.
0: Because, like, you had a borderline great match to open this thing up with Best Friends defeating Private Party and SCU. You know, nearly a banger of a match. 16 minutes, Best Friends pick up the big win. Private Party got to really shine in their big debut. Uh, they were put in there with two teams to allow them to succeed. I thought they got over. I thought they looked great. And the crowd was into it, and they felt like they felt like the crowd at double or nothing. They were hot and into it, and then we moved on. But your thoughts on that opener first?
1: I uh, really, really enjoyed the opener. Party, private party got a lot of shine, and, and that was good to see because they were kind of the. I mean, I kind of they they were the unknown team in this match. You know, everyone knows best friends. Everyone knows SEU. Uh, private party. And not really known on on that big stage. This was their first big stage match, and I thought they looked really good in it. Uh, SCU always delivers. Best friends are solid, and you know, best friends picking up the win makes sense. It looks like they're headed for a match against uh, Dark Order in some capacity, whether that's in the tournament or at the all out for a buy in the in the tournament. Because uh, since that's what they won, they want a match to have a have a match uh, for to not have a match, something, something, some nonsense like that. Um, but yeah, really strong, really strong opener. I I really love this match.
0: Yeah. And speaking of dark order, they did a tease post match with a dark order promo. The minions went around the ring after the lights went out then they disappeared. So they are continuing that from double or nothing, which I thought was a nice play because you gotta, you know, you don't have TV right now. So whatever shows you have along with your online content, you got to keep pushing your narratives along storyline wise. Uh, we had some hilarity with the Bucks joking about bleeding money and not getting the private jets and uh, gourmet food they were promised. Uh, the pool they were promised turned out to be an inflatable kiddie pool in the arena. Kenny Omega promised that he had them new gear for tonight, which we'll talk about later. But that he blew the half the budget on them and they couldn't afford the models anymore. And then they replaced half the models with mannequins on stage.
1: So that I was, like, that was fun. I like the, uh, the, the fire fest. I don't know if you've seen the, the documentaries on, on Hulu and Netflix, but as uh, someone who followed that whole train wreck in, in real time and then watched both documentaries, I, I like these little jokes. Um, some people won't get them, but I thought they're cute.
0: So yeah, so we got that. And then this is where things went off the rails during the buy-in. Leva Bates and Peter Avalon doing their shitty librarian gimmicks arrived, and they just did a bunch of bullshit rambling on. And then Allie arrived, because with no explanation, Kylie Ray was off the show. Who was
1: supposed yeah? They to never Leva Bates. they they never advertised the the Kylie Ray Leva Bates match. It was something that like ITV put out as a, as a promotional thing, but AEW never like officially announced that match. So I'm not holding that one against them. That seems like it was a uh, more of an ITV type thing where they kind of jumped the gun and then, yeah, something, something seemed to happen.
0: Well, fuck them. Thanks. They made me write a preview for that match. that <laughs> didn't happen. God damn it. So we had Allie versus Leva Bates. This, this wasn't good. Leva Bates is horribly slow and disjointed in her wrestling, she controlled way too much of the match, and due to that, it felt like a really shitty debut for Allie, who is actually a good wrestler. Um, In my opinion, AEW should never have Leva Bates wrestle on the shows again, the gimmick is horrible, and they should never have the gimmick on the shows again. I don't even want to see it on Being the Fucking Elite anymore.
1: Yeah, it's it's terrible. I I don't know who thinks this is good. I, I read that like this was some sort of bet that they could get this thing over. Uh, they if, if that's the case, they lost and they should just give up now be, before it goes any further. It, it was really bad at, at double or nothing. It got even worse here. Eva Bates, fine character work. Um, she does cool like cosplay gimmicks at, at indie events. Uh, Wrestling-wise, um, not good. There's a reason why she was just blue pants and like lost quickly. Uh, yeah, t- terrible, terrible stuff. And and Allie didn't look good here either. She's facing Brandy um, in a couple of weeks. Like this was not a good win to try to build that match and j- just just really really terrible stuff.
0: And the worst part is, is I don't think it's gonna get much better for Allie because she is facing Brandy next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know, like, good workers can carry not-good workers to good matches sometimes, but, I mean, Allie ain't a miracle worker, brother. No. And then we moved on to a hardcore match with Michael Nakazawa versus Alex Jabaley. Jabaley is the sponsor and the CEO guy for the event, and um, they had a hardcore match. It went 9 minutes and 10 seconds. Michael Nakazawa won. They did a bunch of weird comedy. They did a couple couple decent spots, and Jabali about killed him with a German at one point. And, um, it was what it was. I know a lot of people really liked this, but uh, not for me. And again, it's like, I can't imagine telling people about AEW, and then for some reason, they missed that opening tag. And then the first things they see after all this praise is Ali versus Leva Bates and Michael Nakazawa versus the video game guy.
1: They, they worked hard. I'll give them credit for that. They had some good ideas. I thought, um, it's just Nakazawa is a, like he's a comedy guy and and fine. If that, that's going to be his role, that's going to be his role. And Jibeli is, is not a wrestler. So what are you supposed to do? Again, they worked hard. They had good ideas. I didn't hate it but because of those two factors. Um, but at the same time, I can t- easily see why people were like, this is stupid. And, and it most certainly was. But I won't knock the, the performances or the ideas of it. It's just it was almost a, a meaningless match that just kind of happened because they tried to do it last year and it, it didn't work out. And they, they want to give you a match for some reason.
0: Yeah. I guess as a thank you for sponsoring the event, but, uh, and the best part is like you said, it wasn't like the worst thing I've ever seen. And it was at least better than the leave a Bates match.
1: It It most certainly was.
0: So, and then uh Jim Rosserad for commentary, and we moved on to the main show proper. Shima defeated Christopher Daniels, nine minutes fifty seconds via pin. Your thoughts, Jeremy.
1: Good opener. Um, Daniels is still great. Shima is is still very good. Uh I didn't like this quite as as much as the um the tag team match opener or on the on the buy-in show or even the the SEU OWE. Um six man tag from, from double or nothing, but maybe it was just a little short on, on time and they couldn't, you know, six men can work a a faster pace than, than two guys who are pushing 50. So, but overall still, still good. And Shima gets the win back, which was kind of expected because he's got the, the Omega match, um, in a couple of weeks, but, uh, good stuff. Good way to kick off the show.
0: Yeah, exactly. Good match between two established veteran guys working a smart match, uh, not overreaching. And I think the best thing is, you know, staying in their lane, um, they know what they can do, what they can't do. Smart match, everything worked. And again, yeah, Shima, Shima gets revenge for the double or nothing tag loss, and he picks up some momentum as he goes on to face Kenny Omega in two weeks. But yeah, good match to kick things off, and uh, just a fun match between two veteran guys. Uh, next up, we went Ladies Action. Rio defeated Yuka Sakazaki and Nyla Rose, 13 minutes and 15 seconds. I thought it was a a good match and better than I expected it to be, actually. I thought Rose put in a really good and much-needed good performance because I thought she was just kind of there at double or nothing. She didn't do much to impress me at all. But uh, she worked really hard here, did a lot of things I didn't expect, came off like a beast, uh, ended up losing at the end when um, Rio cradled her out of the beast bomb, and... uh, yeah, just a good match again. Another good things. Uh show definitely turned around after the two uh the two shitty buy-in matches previous to it.
1: I thought Riho and, and Nyla Rose were good. Uh Sakazaki little little rough. They kinda had to wait a little bit for her to, to get in position. She she didn't seem like she had a whole lot of confidence in, in what she was doing. She she made the most out of it. She she battled through that and um, You know, maybe some people didn't pick up on it, but uh, I thought it was, it was it was fairly noticeable. But we're also people who watch thousands of wrestling matches, so we're more aching to, to pick up on stuff like this. Um, But yeah, overall, good match. Crowd crowd got into it, despite the this being another match where, on paper, you're probably not going to know who who these three ladies are compared to everyone else on the card. Uh, so so they worked hard, and, and Rio and and Nyla Rose they. I mean, Nyla's going to be built around in the division, even though she, she took the the loss here. Um, she, she's still going to be an impact player in the division, and it seems like they're they're pretty high on Riho. I think it was only a three-event three, three event deal, but I would be shocked if that doesn't get stretched out based on how she's looked um, on the first two shows. So uh, good good stuff here.
0: Yeah, so we move on. MJF came out prior to the next match and was just in uh, A-plus dickhead mode. Running down to fans and his opponents. Said he was getting the W tonight. He was mocking all the gamers because they hate him. He then apologized and says, hey, you know, we're not so different. I used to love video games, too, until I lost my virginity. And they hated him. So he does his job very well. He is just such a smug asshole in the best way possible. And, you know, he looks like a douche wearing his little, like, his his scarf and shit. It's just, it all works, you know and uh mjf is great yeah and then i i about died during the uh the introductions because they're coming out and jungle boy comes out riding on the Luchasaurus shoulders and justin roberts says introducing next riding to the ring on luchasaurus <laughs> and he wasn't lying lucha the, the the jungle boy was riding luchasaurus to the ring and that is like an ongoing gag and being the elite too and it's funny it's a it's a throwback to Falle and Prince Devitt and even Nick Jackson and Cody Hall and New Japan. So a four-way match. They had Kip Sabian on commentary because the winner was going to fight him in two weeks at the next show. So they set setting up another match for the show, which is always good. Um, Hangman Page defeated MJF, Jimmy Havoc, and Jungle Boy at the end. Uh, 1050, I uh, thought it was very good. Uh, Adam Page pinned Havoc, saving MJF from the loss, and Jungle Boy from the loss, so I thought that was the right call, not only Page winning, but Havoc losing, Uh, Jungle Boy just really good here, I thought he showed a ton of potential, I thought MJF got the shine a lot, just like I said, he's an amazing asshole, I love the Jungle Boy Luchasaurus pairing, hopefully they might be a tag team as well, I think that would be fun. But I thought it was very good. Page keeps momentum for his uh, big match coming up with Jericho, and I'm sure he'll get a win over Kip Sabian next month, or in two weeks, actually. And, uh, yeah, just uh, very good stuff. Uh, Everybody got to shine, and finish made sense.
1: Yeah, Page winning this was the right call. We kind of thought that maybe uh you can have someone else win and and not have page take the loss but page winning makes more sense and then facing kip sabian is uh a Kind of another thing that makes sense, because um, Sabian picked up the, the victory uh, at the Double or Nothing uh, pre-show against Sammy Guevara, so uh, two guys, I mean, technically, Adam Page won a pre-show match, so you're you're two pre-show winners from Double or Nothing facing off in a couple of weeks, and then Page will win that and move on to the, the big match against Jericho, so... They're getting page over strong against guys you can kind of afford to to put them over against right now. Jungle Boy and MJF certainly stood out for for different reasons in this match. Jimmy Havoc little lost in this match which wasn't to be too unexpected because this was not a jimmy havoc style match jimmy havoc's not gonna thrive in a a rules-based fatal four way that that's that's not his gimmick at all and it, it showed and that's there's nothing wrong with that it was just almost like he he was kind of there to take the fall, and I think that's a little bit unfortunate. But you know, that was his role in this match. Um, but but overall, uh, more good stuff um, from from AEW.
0: Yeah, you know, somebody like I said, somebody had to lose, and I think he's the right call because I think there's a obviously a ton of upside in MJF. Just he's a good wrestler. He has a lot of upside still in the ring. He's great on the mic. So full package wise, he has a lot of stuff going for him. Jungle Boy shows a lot of potential as a wrestler. Obviously, we don't know a lot about him personality-wise. Don't know if he can talk yet and all that stuff. But shows, again, just a lot of potential. So, you're protecting him here. And, again, Paige, you know, keeping that momentum as he's about to challenge for the title. So, that's all good stuff. Next up, Cody versus Darby Allin went to a 20-minute time limit draw. And, um... I actually, I really liked that they did the draw here. First of all, I thought, you know, we, I, I bag on Jim Ross a lot in the last few years, but I thought Jim Ross was really good here in how he put over Darby Allen. He was almost doing like his, uh, the Mick Foley level of selling he used to do on Raw in the 90s, just putting over Allen's resiliency and f- lack of not wanting, you know, he the fact that he won't quit and all that. So, um, and right now, I am all about AEW Cody. Because he's working composed matches with really good stories. He's leaving the circus at home. I thought the match was great. I thought Cody called a great match. I thought the timing came off well. Setting up the draw at the end. And to finish protects Darby Allen Because he didn't have to take a loss. Cody didn't have to lose ahead of his match next uh, two weeks. With uh, Dustin t- t- against the Young Bucks. So I thought that, that was a smart play. Plus you're establishing that... Time limit draws are a thing in this universe. And sometimes a time limit draw is a really great thing. It's a great booking tool. You can do it for various reasons. You can stretch out a title feud with it. You can protect a guy like Darby Allin, like we talked about in the preview. Darby Allin's really great, but he's not a huge star that can rebound super easily from a loss like a Kenny Omega can. So, I really like that they did that. We had the uh, We had the draw. they teased five more minutes, but Sean Spears hit the ring, and he laid out Cody with a chair shot to the head, busting him open and angering the internet.
1: Yeah, um, we'll we'll get to the chair shot because I'm sure sure we both have thoughts on that, uh, as far as Cody against Darby goes. I'm with you. Uh I, I like the draw. I thought it was a good way to protect Darby from, from taking that loss, um, which we all kinda kinda figured it would happen. And I mean, if it did happen, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that because Cody is your is your top guy and Darby Allen is a, a relative unknown, but they, they kept some shine on him with this straw. Darby Allen takes a, a hell of an ass kicking. He always has, and he really did in this match as well. Uh, good call on Cody, you know, just being very methodical, just trying to essentially teach this kid a lesson and just, just whoop an ass, and uh, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. He's been in two matches where he, he can get away with that. And I think that's good. And I think if you keep kind of going with him in that way, it, it can work. It, it's when he gets into these other matches, whenever he might have to, to face somebody. I mean, the the Young Bucks match will, will be a little bit telling on kind of the, the Cody will get in a different style kind of match. Um, but right now, I, I agree with you. I, I like this version of, of Cody Rhodes. And no problem with the finish. It, it was timed out well, as you said. And, and then we we got the chair shot. So so what did you think of this?
0: Um, You know, on one hand, I think um, taking unprotected chair shots to the head in 2019 is pretty stupid when you know all the shit that you know now. But on the other hand, I mean... Number one, Cody's a grown-ass man. He can make his own decisions. Number two, um, it had the desired effect because we don't see it a lot anymore. And, you know, when he hit him and he went down and he was bleeding, I mean, the crowd reacted really well. Especially, you know, comparatively to how you thought they might react to a Sean Spears attack. No offense to uh, Sean Spears and all, but... Not exactly a top guy or anything. Um, the Young Bucks apparently have insinuated that the chair shot was not unprotected and uh, say it was Cody's idea to take it. Said so the chair was gimmicked, but it didn't work. Tony Khan says that he can't go Then the it in was details. unprotected. <laughs> yeah. But they got the doctor right away. Something went wrong. You could build the safest airplane in the world, but if there's pilot error, there's pilot error. They'll address it soon. So, if the pilot I mean, crashes
1: know, into Cody's head, then the plane is still going to explode.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's stupid, but I thought it came off really well. Um, you know, and I mean, if Cody wants to take unprotected chair shots, I don't care if the chair is gimmicked or not. I mean, that's his choice if you want to make poor choices. I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to say. I'm not going to get, like, super up in arms about it because, I mean, again, he's a grown-ass man. And if if you're going to make poor decisions, that's what you're going to do. And hopefully he didn't get a concussion. Hopefully he's fine. Apparently he got 12 stitches and says he's okay. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, hopefully it's not a regular thing. Definitely. I, I, I don't want to see that at all. But I think if this is something you do, like, you do it now and then you never do it again. And then, like, 18 months later... You know, someone busts out one with a properly gimmick chair, and it's safe and everything. And you know, I th- I think it can have an impact, but it's just not something I want to see on a regular basis.
1: It's first off, don't do it. Like, don't don't take these chair shots to the head. I I understand he's he's grown and he can make his own decisions. It's it's a poor decision. It's simply a poor decision. We we know too much about the brain, and we 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 have a history of just knowing what this stuff leads to. So so don't even put yourself in that position. I agree that for the effect it worked because we don't see it that often. And when you do it on a show like this, it, it causes a big reaction. The crowd was definitely stunned. They definitely made it into a big deal. I mean, Jim Ross was on the air. Openly talking about CTE, uh, you know, and, and talking about con- concussions and this stuff. And it, I've seen some people theorize that, you know, maybe this leads to how AEW can say, oh, that we're banning chair shots. And, like, okay, at least you get a little something out of it. It's still just it's, – it's unnecessary. It's very, very unnecessary. No one's going to think differently of you if you – get your hand up or if you just don't you know if if you don't need this as a vehicle to to push a storyline of this is why we're banning chair shots no no one's going to to think different they're gonna be like yeah well good fucking unprotected chair shots to the head should be banned um i just don't do it. it it's it's dumb i i hope to never see it again in aew even 18 months from now because the, these guys are smarter than that. The, the the style nowadays with the risks they take, you don't need to take unnecessary and unforced risks like this. Like, all right, you want to do uh, your your dives and shit off the ropes and, and stuff, fine. Like you're you're taking a risk, but th- we've seen people do this stuff safely for years and you do it in every match and and it's okay like this is just something that you don't need to do so so don't you don't need to do it it's not hurting anybody when if you don't do it so don't do it um i i I hope to never see it again i i I don't want to see anybody just take a an unprotected chair shot to the head anybody and Cody seems like a nice guy and I would like him around for, for a longer haul.
0: Yeah. And um, it, it it makes sense. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to see it become a regular thing anymore. Cause it's like I said, we know too much, but again, like I said, you know, it's like adults are going to make poor decisions from time to time. And you know, chalk it up to a poor decision to try to get his friend over because I honestly think, really, despite what they're going to say and try to cover up with the it was supposed to be a gimmick chair or whatever, um, Cody actually has always said he owes a lot to Sean Spears from like their time in OVW and stuff. And I think he was just doing something risky to help his friend. And that's admirable, but again, like you said, a poor choice
1: sure take a take a cane shot to the head or something like you though you can gimmick those a lot easier than you can gimmick a chair even even a trash can is much easier to to gimmick like those steel chairs are they're just a little bit tougher to gimmick especially if you're not going to get your hand up like the the trash can moxley took one at the end of the show and yeah he got his hands up but do something like that uh they're they're, e- they're easier ways to protect yourself if you want to take an unprotected like weapon shot to the head it doesn't have to be a steel chair you can get laid out the the same way with, with a with a, a singapore cane or something or a baseball bat do a baseball bat worked for eddie edwards got him over got sammy callahan over
0: fair enough so yeah that was that uh angle came up obviously really well and I guess eventually that might possibly lead to Cody and Sean Spears at double or uh, all out.
1: Yeah, um, I would have to imagine that's at all out. And they set that up nicely on a, a Road 2 show where Cody was like, Yeah, he's a player coach, solid guy. And the, the he's other. He's a good guy. Was, yeah, yeah. So that's fine. They're, they're telling stories. I Cody Rhodes and Sean Spears doesn't like light my world on fire or anything, but uh, they they've set it up nicely.
0: Doesn't light my world on fire either, but I, I will say it has two things going for it right now. Number one is, like we said, AEW Cody has been really great so far. And number two... A couple things, actually. You know, Number two, Sean Spears is going to bust his ass to prove people wrong, to show that he can go. And you know, number three, again, Cody working with his friend, trying to pay him back. It's not the same as working with his brother, but I think it'll be a match that... He does everything he can to help his friend. Because again, he took a fucking unprotected chair shot that had to help him out tonight. So I'm sure he will do everything with him to have a great match. So I actually have high hopes for the match. I don't think it's going to be like as good as Dusty and Co- Dustin and Cody. But I mean, I think they could probably do some really good stuff. So, but we'll see. And we'll see how they continue the build to that. And a uh, pretty interesting uh, turn of events. Yeah, I like it. You know, again, like I said, didn't have to do the chair shot, but I liked it overall. So we moved on to the quote-unquote official main event of the evening because the last match was unsanctioned. Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson defeated the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid 20 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. Uh, Daryl Takahashi, what did you think of the match? Many moves with a Z. Very good. Yes. (laughs) Moves with a fucking Z. And I say that with a term of endearment because, listen, man, it's the Lucha Bros and the Bucks, Kenny Omega, and Laredo Kid. You knew these dudes were going to work a great little fucking sprint. Lots lots of action, lots of super kicks, some dives, and they I think they gave you everything you wanted here. It was a great high-octane sprint, tons of good stuff, tremendous pacing. Thought everybody got to look really good. The crowd loved it. Laredo kid got to shine in front of a big audience. And the other thing to where this excuse me, where this thrived is Completely different than anything else off the show in terms of pacing and action. Especially coming after Cody and Darby Allen, which was a more methodically laid out match and telling a deep story. And then you have this match coming after that, total change of pace, and while it's nothing revolutionary, and some people I can understand may feel like desensitized to it, it stuck out in a good way and completely did its job, thought it was great.
1: I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, you've got the elite guys against Pentagon, Phoenix, and Laredo Kidd. What what were you expecting in this match? Um, Catch-as-catch-can wrestling. Yeah, it, it was going to be a i'm sure there's a better word but it was going to be a vanity match like this whole show was a a kenny omega vanity show and like that's why he stuck around after this match and like made sure to hug everyone because this was his design that's why they came out in their their street fighter get up because like this is his baby right here and it was his time to shine. And so he was going to make sure his match had plenty of, of shine in it. And that's why he booked this match to where, all right, I'm wrestling with the young bucks. Everything they do is great. I'm wrestling with Pentagon and Phoenix and pretty much everything they do is great. And the crowd loves them and the crowd, like they were into the, the Sierra stuff, like all match. And that's a testament to Pentagon. And then Laredo kid, you know, it's supposed to be Pac. Um, but you know he got over in this match, so y- you knew what it was going to be going into it. The the main thing was it looked clean for the most part. There was the the one thing where the, one of the the young bucks nearly killed himself uh, climbing the the ropes and had to be held up by Laredo Kid, which uh, God bless him. It did you know it, wrestling is, is fake because he just held him there into position. But hey, came off well. The move the move looked cool. Um. But it it was what it needed to be, and I I didn't have a problem with that. It, Yeah, nothing we haven't seen before. I I really want the Young Bucks and and the uh, Lucha Bros, as much as I love their work together, and I don't think I've seen them have a bad match together, I would like them to stay away from each other because... I feel like we we've watched them wrestle like twenty times already, and this is AEW's second show. Uh, even even like Omega, like Omega wrestled Pentagon at, at All In, and it, it the elite guys keep winning. It, it's good stuff, but it, I just just stay away from 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 this this combination of, of five guys for a while and, and do something new. Actually, give the Lucha Brothers some wins because they're putting on good matches, but in terms of like, if you've only watched AEW shows, they, they don't feel like they're anything special. Cause they just keep losing to the, the elite guys. And that's about my only gripe with it is that the elite guys are, and they're going over big and, and it's just, it feels like something we we've seen a number of times.
0: Fair points. And yeah, they, they should keep them away for a while. And, uh, hopefully they do that in the tag tournament and, uh, move on and stuff and mix in some different teams. and Because, again, it, like you said, it, it, the other thing is, too, is like the Lucha Bros need some wins, plus it's always something you can revisit down the line. You know, like if, if the Lucha Bros happen to win the tag titles and they're the first champions, you can wait a few months and then down the line, you know, the Young Bucks can pick up some wins and then they can go, listen, we, we fucking beat you at double or nothing. We want our tag title shot. You know, and then you can revisit it then. Yeah, but we need a little break from it now. But, uh, yeah, I thought Laredo Kid looked really good. Hopefully he's going to get signed by somebody in the U.S. and continue to be on TV. I I saw his match they talked about on commentary with El Vikingo, which was fucking awesome. That's going to make the uh, top matches of the uh, half-year list so far. and Just great stuff. So our main event, Jeremy, was a match that we had talked about when Dean Ambrose was released, we wanted to see. John Moxley versus Joey Janela, non-sanctioned match. No New Japan tights for John Moxley tonight because he was in fucking fight mode.
1: Yeah, this was the the Moxley that when you know he, he was announced for New Japan. This was kind of what I expected him to wear not the not the jeans, but just kind of the the long pants. He looked like a guy who was uh, ready to kick some ass, not ready to wrestle.
0: Yeah, so they had a uh, main event that went just over twenty minutes. We had all kinds of shit. Tables, chairs, barbed wire boards, a barbed wire wrapped up chair. Um, Joey Janela doing an insane elbow off of a ladder through Moxley on some tables. Um, Thumbtacks at the end. Uh, Moxley atomic dropping him into thumbtacks after he had removed his socks and shoes. And just pretty much everything you wanted from the match in terms of violence. Played the stipulation really well. Crowd really liked it. Simply good and crazy. And I think, again, like the previous match, sometimes a match just needs to be exactly what it needs to be. And, you know, sometimes a spot fest is just kind of a spot fest and a sprint, and it's a ton of fun and can be great. Sometimes you have Cody and Darby Allen, which is a methodical storytelling match, which is just as great. And then you have this fucking hardcore, you know, low-level deathmatch plunder match, which is, again, another great match.
1: It, it was definitely exactly what it needed to be. We we thought that you know Moxley and, and Janela were going to kill each other, and that was even before like this got announced as a, as an unsanctioned match. Um, but they were always going to have to do some some weird thing to where anything was going to be able to go because no one wants to see Moxley and Janela in a in any type of like straight wrestling matches even with like relaxed rules like they wanted to see the barbed wire and the blood and the thumbtacks and the, the tables and the ladders and all that stuff and and that's what we got um i liked the the spot where jim ross was saying save your fucking money kid and then janella sent on onto an open chair like yeah that, that sounds about right. that that spot looked like it sucked. A lot of this stuff looked like it sucked uh, for for both guys. the The thumbtack spot with the feet that that made my feet hurt and uncomfortable. Um i the match was exactly what it needed to be. Moxley winning was obviously the right call. I don't want to see it too often. Like watching the match, it reminded me that these types of matches just aren't really my cup of tea I, i'm not a, a deathmatch match kind of guy and this wasn't even like a crazy deathmatch match like you would see on on gcw with like light tubes and just insane netso falls and, and doors and shit uh this this was even toned down from that but it, it's just not my cup of tea watching guys get thrown through barbed wire and thumbtacks and, thumb and I, i'm also just not a fan of like all right, I'll beat you up for a little bit and then give me, like, five minutes to set up this next spot here and and then, you know, act like you're still hurt and stuff. Like, I I don't like that whole pacing thing uh, of setting up the next spot and then doing it and then taking a break to set up the – like, the whole thing just isn't my cup of tea. But for what it was, like, it it, it was what it needed to be and, and it was enjoyable. I can see how plenty of people liked it.
0: Yeah, and uh, all fair points, especially the, uh, I, I like to call them construction spots. Yeah, whenever you have to take too long, that bullshit just, that can drive you nuts. So Moxley wins, and uh, post-match, Kenny Omega ran out and attacked him. Powell drove him through a table, laid another one on top of him, and hit a springboard double stall, trying to get his revenge for double or nothing. They brought up to the stage. He threw him into a drum kit, hit him with an electric guitar. Moxley was being helped out by the refs, and then he tossed them off the ramp. And Omega returns and attacked him with a trash can shot, and Omega actually hit him with the Death Rider onto the trash can and stood tall. But John Moxley was smiling because he liked this shit. This motherfucker, like two weeks before the G1, is out there working with thumbtacks and barbed wire and shit, and just. Not giving a fuck, man.
1: Moxley is, is having the time of his life right now, and and more power to him. I mean, hey, the, the man is... We saw it in, in New Japan against uh, Juice. Like, you can just tell he's got a different energy about him now, and he's allowed to kill guys again. And I think that he's allowed to kill himself again. Like, that. that's what appeals to him. So, get more more power to the guy.
0: Yeah, um, so overall, I thought it was a pretty great show. I thought, just kind of running things down, I thought the opener, you know, best friends get momentum, they tease the continuation with the Dark Order, and Private Party got to shine, which was the important part. Allie's match was bad, but she won ahead of her match in two weeks. Shima won, getting revenge from Double or Nothing, getting momentum ahead of his match in two weeks. Rio picked up a good win, Hangman Page, uh, and more importantly, I think Nyla Rose had a really good performance. Let me say that. Uh, Adam Page, again, continues momentum, while MJF and Jungle Boy had plenty of time to shine. Cody and Darby Allen was great. Darby Allen, I think, gets a lot out of not losing and taking Cody to a draw. The only fear I do have with that, though, I will say, is that I'm hoping people remember his performance more than the chair shot post-match. Because I think people are going to reflect on that too much, unfortunately, for whatever reason, whether they thought it was just awesome or they thought it was the most horrible thing in the world because it was an unprotected chair shot. But I think that like, because I know a lot of people, I saw a ton of people just shocked at how good Darby Allen was, which unfortunately shows how many people don't watch Evolve. You know, no offense, but again, I think he's going to be WWN's like biggest misstep because of what they didn't do with him. Uh, Kenny Omega won in the tag match, beating Loretta Kidd. He gets momentum ahead of facing Ashima in two weeks, and then he's going to be facing Moxley. And then again, Moxley remains. He looks like a star. He has a great match, wins again. And just, um, we talked about, like, why the NXT shows succeed a lot of the time, Jeremy. and just th- matches being what they need to be. Like when we watched Matt Riddle and Roderick Strong, it was a hard-hitting match with some grappling and a good pace and just... Everything you wanted from those two guys. And that's what a lot of this show was. It was a lot of the, the matches we wanted to see and expected to see and hoped would pan out that way with the right people winning and being put into position to succeed. And it's not like when you see, like like you said, like theoretically, Page could have lost that four-way by not being pinned. But again, why waste the momentum ahead of him getting a title shot and stuff? So I think it's just important that you're putting people in a place to succeed, giving them momentum, and booking finishes that make sense.
1: Yeah, overall, a, a good show. Um, the the wrestling, you really have to worry about AEW delivering when it comes to in-ring stuff. They, they've got a lot of good wrestlers a lot of smart, smart people as well. Um, so, so the layouts are generally good. It, it was like that at Double or Nothing. It was like that here as well. Um, and sorry, I got a message. Um, so, so you don't have to worry about that when when it comes to AEW the the couple things that that i didn't like once again the the camera cuts and stuff you gotta catch these dives and i know it can be tough uh but but they missed they missed a couple and this is stuff that they'll they'll get better at with with time but you you gotta catch that stuff um the and then the 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 two post-match attacks uh i didn't necessarily have a problem with them they they felt very similar in what they were trying to accomplish though you you've got your established star giving a lot of shine to the unestablished star and it seemed like it should make the unestablished star like a bigger deal but that's immediately taken away by another guy coming out and fighting with the established star, like another established guy fighting with the established guy. So at the end of it, you, you kind of lose a little bit something with, in this case, Darby Allen and, and Joey Janela, because the, the brawls between, uh, Cody and Sean Spears, not that, that was a brawl, but the angle between Cody and Sean Spears and, uh, the, the angle between Moxley and, and Omega were the, the overshadowing, uh, things there. And so I, I hope that Alan and, and Janela aren't forgot about be because of that. And I would I will give AEW the benefit of the doubt and, and say that they will be able to to still pick up the, the steam with those guys. Um but they're they're building the guys that they, they feel they they need to build around and and that's what you know that that's what you need to do as a company. You need to establish your your top guys. They're like it or not, there's a pecking order in wrestling. 5050 does does not work. Guys have to win and, and guys have to lose, and the top guys got a feud with the top guys and establish that pecking order. Like they're doing that. Hangman's going into a title shot. Cody is obviously, you know, the elite guys are obviously their big stars. Uh, and, and Moxley is their big star. And they they maybe see Sean Spears as their big star. They've got the young talent. I, I can see the complaint of, oh, it's just the elite guys and xWv guys. It's it's true. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say there. It's it's very true that that's who they're building around, and that can be a little, you know, they're gonna get some blowback for that, and I think some of it is is deserved because um, you know it's it's their promotion, and then it's xWv guys, so you know they're not technically like building anyone new but they are building people new with the the Allen and janela stuff it's just important to remember and mjf and even jungle boy like it's important to remember these guys and keep it going um and and not have them kind of get lost with the overshadowing with your your moxley's and your omegas and your, your elite and WWE guys like that
0: and I think again, all fair points. And I think the other thing too to keep to remind everybody about too is that again, they did a lot of good jobs of you know, Darby Allen got a lot of shine for that match. Private party got a ton of shine and were over like crazy in the opener. You know, you're you're giving the best friends credibility with another big tag win. Nyla Rose had a really good performance that she needed tonight. And so things like that too, I think you have to remember that I mean, there there are other people. I mean, it's going to take time. You, they don't have weekly TV. We've had one pay-per-view and we've had this show. Then we're going to have another show in two weeks and then all out. And that's all before TV. It's going to take some time. And unfortunately, you know, you can't just do a bunch of 50-50 booking and you can't put everybody over right away. Like I said, there is going to be a pecking order and you have to establish stars and you're going to have to use some established stars, like a John Moxley and a Chris Jericho. And you're going to have to play off of that. And then hopefully when you get to TV and you have a buzz and you have attention, hopefully there's enough people watching that when you start building your MJF and your Jungle Boy and your other talents like that, that they start picking up. So, again, it's a process. AEW, again, far from perfect. You know, we talked about, like, you need to fix the buy-in match stuff. I mean, that tag match was bordering on great but the Leva Bates match was not good hardcore match I really wouldn't have aired I understand why they did it because of Jabali and all but I mean the um, the double or nothing pre-show wasn't exactly great either
1: you've so, gotta you gotta if, sell on yeah. these pre-shows <laughs> like I, I it seems like they're just trying to like get people on the shows for the sake of getting them on the shows. Uh, it, just to make everybody happy, like all right, let's let's get these guys on the shows, be because we didn't have a main roster spot for them. Like, all right, that, that's nice that you're doing that. You still gotta like just cut the whole library gimmick altogether and and tell me why like I should care about Moxley and Janela. Like that video package that they put together for for Moxley and Janela, like to announce that it was an unsanctioned match. Play that on the pre show. Why wasn't that played on the pre show? Like the double or nothing stuff. Why wasn't that the, an Omega and and Jericho uh, video package played on the pre-show? Like you, the pre-show is designed to sell your pay-per-view card. And I know people hate like the WWE pre-shows because it's it's an hour of. Uh, you know, talking with, and maybe you get like a 15 minute match in there, but the the match is usually good. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a good tone setter. And then the rest of it accomplishes of, hey, this is why you need to watch this pay-per-view and maybe you care, maybe you don't. But if you're not an established company like AEW with established storylines and weekly television, you need to tell people, hey, this is why you should watch our pay-per-view
0: exactly i agree so hopefully they can fix that but overall i thought the card was pretty great i really enjoyed it thought it was an easy watch i thought it was uh timing and layout was pretty good and everything it it flowed really well um had no streaming issues on bleacher report and uh so i was happy
1: yeah i didn't have any streaming issues either which was a, a very positive sign so it seemed like they they knew it was going to be a uh a big deal. And I'm sure t- we'll get numbers of like, Oh, if this was on pay-per-view, this would have done 3 million buys. Um So it seems like they, they knew it was going to be a big deal. They they had the extra server capacity and everything, uh, which was good because that, that was, that could have been a, a very concerning thing.
0: Yeah. Apparently it wasn't that good on fight TV. Apparently fight TV had some issues streaming, which is not surprising because I had problems streaming the New Japan event this morning. So, yeah. So, uh, Fight TV, I saw people giving some shit about that. But, yeah, the Bleacher Report deal was good for me. Had no problems. Had no problems at Double or Nothing either. So, so far, their streaming component has been really strong, and that's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Um, AEW, two, two for two on these shows. They got another show in, uh, two weeks that, um, the, the blood money advocates are undermining as it's a charity event. And then, you know, All Out and then television at some point. So it's getting, you know, the, this Fight for the Fallen show, I'm kind of expecting it to be similar to, to fighter Fest where it's just kind of a a, fi- a good show, some good wrestling, some, some storyline advancement. But then it, you know, then it really picks up for AEW.
0: And I think that's the important thing right now because, like, you're given two free shows. And I, I really enjoyed this one. And I think that the next show has to be a lot like this one. You have to give us some good to great wrestling. You have to put people in a position to succeed and build to their next match. And you need to continue the stories along. Because right now, this, is, this along with the good videos they're posting, like the little Road 2 videos, this is their strongest conduit to try to win fans over and to hopefully have another successful pay-per-view buy rate. Because for them, a pay-per-view buy rate is still an important thing. You know, it's not for WWE. WWE only gets pay-per-view buy rates these days because of two reasons. It's either people that are stubborn and don't like online streaming, and there are older people that don't like that, and two, there are segments of the country that don't get high enough speed internet for people to get the network. So that's why WWE pay-per-view numbers are generally small these days, because they really don't matter because of the network. But for AEW you know you're you're charging for these shows and it's a big component for them to make money so they have to build as best as they can and i thought this was a good first step and hopefully the fight for the fallen show can follow suit
1: yeah i mean aw's off off to a good start
0: i think so so that'll uh wrap us up for today we'll be back later this week and preview the uh g1 in dallas and uh talk about Slammiversary, and it'll be a good time. So this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and, of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. If you have time, leave a five-star review. And, Jeremy, thank you again for your time, buddy.
1: Of course, yes, we have impact to talk about next time.
0: That's right. So we will get talk- excited. Yeah, it's, it actually looks like a good card, right?
1: Impact does put on a uh, good, good pay per view events. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm just giving them a, a hard time. There, it, it's still impact. Five people will attend. They'll tell us it's the greatest pay per view ever, and then they'll do nothing to really follow up. And then they'll air commercials for thirty minutes on pursuit.
0: Fucking pursuit, man! What a piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> so uh yeah so uh we'll talk to you guys later thank you for reading and have a good week everybody